Welcome to the Prison Steep Podcast. Though I didn't do 20 or 30 years locked up, and I never spent time in the hole or had to make a shiv, after six years in the Texas penal system, I can tell you, I've still seen some stuff. I lived through many a lockdowns, endured authoritarian regimes, seen riots, and learned how to navigate deeply entrenched racial issues. And as the world around us snowballs further into insanity, I can't help but think how like prison this all is. Yet it wasn't all doom and gloom. I made some incredible friendships along the way, learned things about myself I don't know if I ever would have uncovered. And I learned that Prison Mike was right. They do serve gruel, and there are dementors in prison, though they aren't the worst part of it. Join me as I share stories from the inside and dive into how my time locked up has changed, altered, and shaped my views now that I'm on the outside. Thank you for joining me for episode three of the Prison Steve podcast. My name is Steve Mathis. I am your host, your disseminator. I don't even know what that means. I've just heard people say it. But I'm the guy with the mic, and I'm the guy that's been in prison, hence Prison Steve. And I am also known as Scuba. I am also known as Matt. And one day I will explain that, but not today. Today we are going to be finishing up our conversation about what prison taught me about spirituality and faith. I'm excited to try to wrap this up because I think I was a little foolish in thinking that I could actually sum up what I learned about spirituality and faith within a couple episodes of a podcast, and that's just not going to happen. So instead, I'm just going to go ahead and share some stories, and hopefully it will kind of pan itself out in the end. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I can see how he learned something or how it changed or altered him in this, this way and that. Because if I tried to actually explain what I learned, I kind of end up being a little too preachy, and that's not my purpose in doing this. There's all the other platforms I can we can do that on. This is more lighthearted and fun and engaging. That's the purpose of it. So we're just going to focus on that. But before I head into that direction, I would like to say to each and every one of you that is tuning in, thank you so much for joining. It has been a delight. It's been humbling. It has been a pleasure to hear the comments that have come in and the feedback that I've gotten. It's been a great way to connect with people that I have not been in touch with in a long part of my life. I actually met up with my cousin, Ben Bettis. And when I tried to do the math, I was, I stopped at 15 years because I'm like, I don't know when's the last time I seen him. So it could have been 15. It could have been 20 years. I can't even remember. And shame on me and my Mexican heritage that I would allow myself to have a cousin that I haven't seen in 15 to 20 years. That's on me. But we did get a chance to meet up, and we were able to catch up, and this podcast was a way of making that connection. And so I'm very grateful for that, and just grateful for the time that I have with him, and look forward to everybody else that I get to catch up and spend some time with. Also, Darren Dunn, a shout out to Darren Dunn in Thailand, listening to the podcast, and he is a friend of mine from back back in the day, for sure, 20 years ago. And uh, what a blast from the past. That's very surreal. So really cool. Grateful for all the opportunities that I've had uh, to have discussions with you guys, talk, connect, get your feedback. Thank you for the shares, the comments, the ratings, all the above. Muchos gracias, as we say down here in the South. So all that being said, let's go ahead and get into it. So we've taken the time to set the stage as to what it's like being a Christian in prison or any person of faith in prison. And so you got an idea about what that's like. 
So I think I need to take a moment just to lay out real quickly how it was that I viewed Christianity and faith and all that stuff going into prison. The way that I understood spirituality and the way that I under, understood faith was based on a output basis. So if I was a person of faith or I was living in my faith, then I was reading my Bible, I was praying, I was doing Bible studies, I was going to church, I was helping other people. I was doing these things that were outputting my faith. And so if I wasn't doing that, then I wasn't living out my faith. Okay. The, also, the other way that I understood faith was that I understood it to be something that I saw the relationship with God like being like a, you know, when uh, C.S. Lewis tells a story about Narnia and he discovers this wonderful Narnian world. That's what I saw a relationship with God being like, is this wonderful Narnian world. And it was almost like you discovered this garden within the world, this secret garden, right? And that Christianity or faith was the hedge that protected this garden from the outside world. And so everything outside that garden, everything out in, that was outside of that faith was evil, it was bad, it was demonic, and it was something that needed to be combated against. It was something that you had to be wary of and mistrusting of. And so there was no openness to seeing any good that could come if it didn't come from within the realm and the safe haven of our faith, right? That garden. And that's what my, I was basically taught early on. And I bought it hook, line, and sinker, and I ran with it. Now, there's honestly, I do agree, there's nothing wrong with that for people that are early on in their faith because they need that form of protection. They need a place where they can safely grow up in their faith and, and their understanding because you're going to get tested out there in the world and, and it's going to have a chance to be put, uh, put to the test. So having a little bit of time to get your feet wet and, and, and kind of set yourself is, is a good thing. The problem is that it's, it stunts your growth and it's, it stunts your understanding of, of both God, of yourself, and the world around you. At some point, you have to let those walls come down and you have to allow truth to be tested. So anyway... I don't again I don't want to get too preachy on the whole thing. I just realized that for so much of my life I had had these walls of protection up and it kept me from being able to engage the world around me or being open to letting God speak to me in any type of new and fresh way. And I always wanted to break out of that Christianese that that lingo that we have of communicating only with us, but I just didn't know how to do it. So when I ended up Let's say I didn't lose faith in God, but I definitely lost faith in myself, and I lost faith in the church, and I lost faith in Christianity. So I pulled away. And when I pulled away, I was like, I'm not pulling away from you, God. I just don't know what to do with this, and I don't know what to do with myself. That's as close of an analogy as I can get. I know I can do a whole lot better with it later as to how I viewed faith and how I viewed that. Now, as for spirituality, spirituality was not something I really understood. Spirituality was like, uh, worship songs, uh, spirituality was prayer, and that's pretty much what spirituality was to me. I didn't really know what spirituality was to me. And I will say this, I had the understanding, and uh, I really believe that only Christians could be spiritual people. That left a lot of holes in understanding the world around me, but that's just how I viewed it. So when I got to prison, that is my background going into it. My very first night that I was locked up, I prayed a prayer. And it was a simple prayer of asking God for his favor because I was like, I need your help. I need your guidance. And the only thing I know to ask for is to ask for your favor. 
in this place and with guards, with other inmates to help me get through this. I don't know what to do. I was, I was in a way asking for wisdom and I was asking for him to be with me. Now, from that point on, I picked up my Bible. I would read. I made an effort. But based on my idea of what faith was, output, I was not really living up to being a person of faith. During my first, once I was locked up, I spent the first 10 months of my time locked up just watching, just observing, paying attention to the world around me, and taking it all in. I'd ask questions. I acclimated to what was going on. I got a job. I got to understand the rules and the law of the lands and all that type of stuff. I learned things about other people from other walks of life I had never come across or encountered within America. And I listened to people's stories, and it was very educational. But there was nothing about it that I could say, oh, that was very that was faith. I wasn't being a Christian. I wasn't being faithful. And I definitely couldn't call it spiritual. All I was doing was just integrating to the to the world around me, learning. When I traveled, I would do the same thing. I would take a few days. I would take a few moments to just take some time to listen, learn, take in the smells, the sights, the sounds, the way the people were, and just kind of get a read and a vibe on the, on the place around me. And that's what I was doing during my time in prison. I think they moved me four times in that 10 months. Three, Yeah, about four times in those 10 months I was moved around. And so every time I went to a new dorm, I was doing the same thing, acclimating, adjusting, listening, and all that type of stuff. Completely in a place of humility because I was willing to engage with anybody to hear what they had to say. If they had something that they could teach me or, or, or show me, that would help me adjust to, to, the, to this new world that I was in. Now, I hit the faith-based dorm after my 10th month in prison. So it was, it was September, and I get to this dorm. And I can tell you that the moment that I walked in, I instantly felt an instant difference between the two. Now, the first thing is that it was like walking darkness into light. And the reason for that was my other dorm literally was dark. They'd never liked the lights on. And we had no light coming in from the window, the few windows we had. And when I walked into the faith-based dorm, it was total opposite. They had the lights on. They had the li- all the uh, light coming in through the windows and sunshine. And so it was much brighter. So literally walking darkness into light. But it was very symbolic of the internal temperature that I felt between one room and the other. The dorm that I had left was going through a lot of racial strife. Uh, There was a lot of beef that was going on and tensions were building up. And we had already had a number of incidents already. So there there was a very heavy presence that I had just gotten used to there. And when I went into the faith-based dorm, completely different, just totally different. And so I don't, I'm sure you guys have an understanding. You've experienced that before where you've walked into a place and you could feel the oppression or you could feel the darkness or the heaviness or the negativity, or you're coming out of a very heavy negative place and you walk into a place and it's very freeing and it's very bright and very open. And so you understand that that's what I felt. And I was very, very sensitive to, again, when you're getting moved and all that stuff, you're constantly reading the people around you and everything's a new environment and you don't know where the next you don't know where danger's going to come from you don't know where the next threat's going to come from so you're on high alert and you're constantly reading the room you're constantly getting a feel for the the person that you're talking to you know it's kind of like uh you come across somebody and <laughs> I don't know if you remember this part in the office I will refer to the office a lot I just finished watching the whole series again <laughs> it's where Robert California is uh in his office, and I guess the office is uh, there out, out scheming, and Kevin Malone says, hey, we have to have a code word in case he comes out. 
And Jim's like, we don't have to have a code word. And then Robert California comes out and Kevin starts yelling, danger, danger, danger. <laughs> Phyllis falls over his chair and everyone like scatters. So that's what it's like sometimes when you come across somebody and you got a bad vibe and you got a bad, bad read. Now I'm going to stop right there because I'm going to come back to this subject. I just got to lay the groundwork for a little bit. I just wanted to touch on that real quick. But when I got to the faith-based dorm, my idea was that I had not been practicing my faith and that I had not been a spiritual person. That was my thinking. And I explained why, because that's how I understood faith and spirituality were based on these archaic versions of output. Now, it didn't take long being there for me to realize that I had been a person of faith purely in the fact that I was putting my total trust in my identity and Jesus Christ. Remember I was telling you that when you get somewhere and you kind of identify who you are and you say, I'm Solano, or you can take it a step further and say, I'm about my faith and that type of thing. If you're serious about that and you're doing that, people could, for the most part, they're going to give you some respect and they're going to let you just do what you want to do. They could also take it completely the other way and decide to mark you and test you because of that. You don't know which way it's going to go. So you're taking a bit of a risk when you do it. Just by doing that alone, I was actually acting out in my faith. Another thing that I was doing was, even though I wasn't doing Bible studies and going to church, I was reading on my own, and I was doing some internal searching and asking questions and stuff like that. And so again, I was acting in my faith. I just didn't see it that way because I wasn't outputting in, in all those different ways that I thought, this is the only way that you've been out. And I realized that when my very first day, so when I was when I was in the other dorm, one of the things that I was reading to start the summer was Hebrews. And I was doing really well. I was getting a lot out of it. I was really enjoying it. And then I got to Hebrews chapter 7 at Melchizedek. And if you don't know it, you can do your own study on it. But I got to this guy and the story about him, and I just locked up. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I felt like there was a blockage, right? So I read it again, I read it again, I read it again, I read it again, and I read it over and over and over again. Then I went to all different types of parts of place of Scripture to talk about it. Then I went to all different types of material that I that I could try to get my hands on and available to, to try to figure it out. I spent a month and a half trying to understand Hebrews chapter 7, and I just felt like I didn't get it. I kept hitting this wall, this blockage. So finally I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to take a break for a little bit. In that break, about two to three weeks later, I ended up in the faith-based dorm. So... I get there. My very first night at the faith-based dorm, there was a uh, one of the best guys I ever met. I mean, and and I'm just talking in life in general, but definitely one of the best best men I ever met during my time in prison. His name was Dan Covert, and that guy just radiated positivity and radiated hope. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But he was sitting at a table with some of the other guys, and we had just finished up a dinner. And I was I'm new to the dorm, so I wasn't trying to integrate myself too quickly. I'm walking by the table, and they go, hey, Mathis, hey, come on over, sit down with us. We're doing a Bible study. You want to join us? And nobody had ever invited me to a Bible study in prison. So I was like, uh, yeah, I would love to. I come over. I sit down. I get my Bible. I sit down with them, and I'm like, okay, guys, where are we at? And they're like, Hebrews. And I'm like, right. And so I flip over to Hebrews. I'm like, so what part in Hebrews are we at? And one of the guys, his name was Medina, says, we're in Hebrews chapter 7. And I remember just having a moment where I'm like, you serious? Okay. So I flip over to Hebrews chapter 7, and then Dan asked me, hey, do you know anything about this? 
we've read it, but none of us understand it. And I was like, well, I can't say that I understand it, but I can share with you the information that I've, that I've got. And they said, yes, please. And so I launched into a discussion with them. Bible studies in prison can go anywhere from an hour to three hours because you got nothing but time. And we just sat there and we talked and we talked and we talked. All of a sudden, all that information I've been gathering just came out and it made complete and perfect sense as I was discussing it with these guys. It just showed me that even though I didn't view myself as being a person of faith because I wasn't outputting in the way that I thought I was supposed to be, faith comes in so many different forms and ways and fashions that I realized I needed to stop limiting my idea of what faith was. The spirituality part was very surprising because later on I would come to understand, and this was through one of the volunteers that would come in, and she reminded me of Professor Trelawney from Harry Potter, the astronomy tower teacher that gets like, I don't know, like crazy and, and like starts having these prophetic moments that got Harry into all this trouble and all this stuff. Got to read the book, guys. She looked like that. She had the, the what did Coke bottle glasses. Uh, she had, she, it looked like she put her finger into an electric socket. And then after her hair went crazy, she tried to just real quickly mat it down. I mean, she looked like she was out there. Dan was telling me, hey, this lady is on fire, man. This lady is full of spirit, da-da-da-da, and was just kind of laying it all out for me. And then all the other guys in the dorm were like, nope, she's crazy. She's badass crazy. And they were both right because she was a little bit crazy, and she was definitely a very, very spiritual person, very much full of the spirit. Because she understood, let's just say the spirit world, she was able to really break it down for us and help me understand that spiritual is not confined to just a worship song. Spiritual is not just confined to a, I get on my knees and pray. Spiritual is activating the non-physical part of your being. Okay, I'll say that one more time. Spirituality is activating the non-spiritual part of your being. It's when you are letting that part of you that is not physical become an extra sense for you to guide you around the world. So as a example, when you're, if you've ever done any type of traveling or you've been to a different part of the city and let's say you're walking and you, let's just common experience, you see it like an alleyway, right? You see a shortcut and you're like, oh, I can take that shortcut and save a lot of time, but you got a bad vibe about it, right? So you're looking at the alley, you got that bad vibe you have to make a decision. Are you going to listen to this part of you that's saying, danger, 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 or danger, 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 but you got a feeling, you got a vibe, or are you going to sit there and go, that's ridiculous, and you look at it as being like the way you talk to a child about a boogeyman in the closet, that's ridiculous. You're being silly, right? And we start talking to ourselves about that. We reason ourselves out of that situation. And just to prove ourselves, our childlike self, wrong, we'll specifically head in that direction. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. When you are traveling or when you are, in ex when you are exposed or you're in a new environment, you are much more apt to listen to that little inner voice that's going on within you. And, what's hap and, and you're also doing that with other people. You're constantly getting a read on the people that you're interacting with. Now, Every time I would go to a dorm, this is what I was doing. But what I couldn't do was I couldn't sit there and say, 
These are the physical cues that translate to every single dorm because it was a very fluid situation. Just because I saw black guys playing craps at a table and I had a bad read on it didn't mean that every place I went to and I saw black guys playing craps at the table meant that they were bad people or that they were up to no good. But I saw this too often where people would say, I had a bad experience with that person or that type of event, so that must apply to every single event and every single type of person. That's how I saw a lot of people fall into racism and fall into superiority, fear and anger and judging before they even knew what was going on because they would they're trying to explain something physically that was that they got the information from non-physically their spiritual selves their their non-physical selves or if you prefer they were getting a vibe or a reading on the room and going by that and then trying to explain it and say these are the physical cues that apply universally everywhere now there are a few if i see somebody getting stabbed then I know that every time I see somebody getting stabbed, probably not a great thing. Want to avoid that, right? If I see, here's here's a little bit more realistic one. If I see guys that are getting too touchy and too handsy and too sexual, I know that that's probably going to lead to something that might be some form of sexual assault later in the future because they're pushing boundaries that they shouldn't. Right. So there's certain physical cues that you can actually lock in and say, yes, that's universal. But most of the time, the readings that you get are so subtle that they're not physical. It's you're reading the temperature of the room. And so for the 10 months that I had been before I got to the dorm, I had been spiritual because I had been activating in my spirit. And remember, at the very beginning, I said, God, I'm asking for your favor. I'm asking for you to be with me and all that. And that was a daily prayer of mine. I'm asking for your favor. I'm asking you to be with me. For him to do that, God is spirit, okay? For him to do that, he had to guide me in his way, non-physically. He's guided me to be wary of who is it that I'm engaging with? Who is it? Where is it that? What is it that I'm up to? What is it that I'm doing? And all that type of stuff. So that was one of my big first educations and understandings about the difference between how I used to view spirituality, how I used to uh, view faith, and then all of a sudden I was watching that starting to morph and to change, and I was starting to get a better understanding of the world around me. Now, if you'll remember, I was sharing about the garden analogy and how anybody that was outside of that protective ideology that was Christianity— Anybody that was outside of that was viewed as an enemy or somebody that I could not engage with or that they had nothing good or nothing worthwhile to tell me or teach me about life or about my faith, right? Very, very haughty, cocky attitude. Now, I didn't have that when I was in prison. I just had that when I was a believer and I was trying to live in that. The key word is trying to live in that. We'll come to that later. So I just want to share with you about a few people that I came across during my time. And one of them I just want to share the story about because the guy was, the person he was was such a game changer uh, for me. The very first moment that I walked into the faith-based dorm, remember I was telling you that you're going to get approached and people are going to kind of get a vibe and figure out. Usually they'll send some type of emissary to do it. When the faith-based dorm, it's it was the opposite. In the faith-based dorm, I never even made it to my bunk. I got bombarded by five or six guys. Now, a few of them I already knew because I worked with them in the maintenance department. 
but I got bombarded by a number of guys that were like, hey, what's up, man? And they were like, hey, my, my name's Dan. My name's Medina. My name's, you know, this, this, this. And it's like, hey, it's so glad to have you here, man. How long you been here? And it was just instant engagement. They weren't feeling you out. They weren't trying to get a read on you. They were just genuinely interested in you as a human being. They were excited you were there because they were excited about the opportunity they had there in that dorm. Like I said, it was a completely different way of doing time, not as an individual, but as a corporate whole. Everybody was working towards bettering themselves in some form, in some way. They were picking the third route. I'm realizing right now that I actually haven't shared this with you, and it's something that I learned during the 10 months before I got to the faith-based dorm, and it was a way that I understood the environment that I was living in, and that was that there was two ways to do time. The This is me making observation and that I broke it down into two ways. There's two ways to do time. The first one is you can just do what people expect you to do. You can go convict, you can buck, you can get wild, you can just let the system define who you are. You can become a crash test dummy, you, you can gang bang. You can just go all in. Anybody can do it if you want to do that. That's the first way to do it. The second way to do it is that you just want to do your time. Now, this is the most common way, and this is a common saying, I just want to do my time and go home. So the goal there is to just get through the time, and the best way to do that is be as comfortable as possible. You want to look for things that are going to benefit you the most, get you the best jobs. So if you're about, even if you're about working out, if that's a way that you enjoy passing the time, and it makes you comfortable to have a really set routine schedule and stuff, then that's what you do. You focus in on that. Healthy eating, you know, if that's part of what you're doing, then you're doing it because that's what you know and it makes you comfortable. If you just want to entertain yourself, then you've got the TVs, the TV schedules that you can be locking in on, and you can become part of the Prison Book Club, which is a really cool thing. One day I'll get into Prison Book Club. Almost everything, though, comfort-wise, has to go around food because the power of food in prison is... Again, I'm going to have to do a show on that because it is absolutely controlling. So those are the two ways that early on I realized you can do this, go convict, buy into the system, or you can just do your time, be as comfortable as possible, and that's all you can do. The problem with the latter, the comfort one, you leave yourself to be effed with by other people. It could be inmates. It could be guards. It could be the system itself. You could... One inmate can get you, could draw you into something. Yeah, you can get in a fight or they can just bring unnecessary attention. Then a guard shows up and now they're looking at both your bunks and then they find contraband, bleach, pens, whatever. And then all of a sudden now you got a case and now your world's kind of messed up with because your rec time's messed up, your commissary's messed up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, you can go on lockdown. All of a sudden you can't watch your favorite TV shows. It, it's just a number of different things that if you are – putting yourself into that place where comfort is your main objective to do your time, then you can just easily be messed with. But when I was doing my 10 months, I only knew the, the, the first 10 months, I didn't know any other way. I only saw two ways. People only explained, hey, there's really kind of two ways to do the time. Now, when I got to the faith-based dorm and I met Dan, I met Medina, I met those guys, I quickly realized there is a third way. That third way is you can use your time to focus on bettering yourself. You can redeem your time. The system doesn't have to define you, and you don't have to waste time because 
you can't get your time back. So if all I did was focus on being comfortable, I could come out and I literally have, because of my circumstances or what I put myself into, I literally burned up X amount of time that I was in prison. What did I do with it? I got comfortable and I did things that made me happy, but what do I have to show for it? If you focus on bettering yourself, if you focus on using it to improve who you are, to fix some things that are broken, then you've actually redeemed your time. So I say that when I met these guys for the first time, that's why I'm saying they were choosing the third route. They were choosing the third way. Let's go ahead and stop right there. I actually recorded this whole thing as one chunk, and it's a little bit long. So just to break it up, I'm going to go ahead and break this part up into the second part. And the third part, we'll go ahead and catch up on. I'll post that in the next few days. Yeah, I hope that has been uh, interesting and informative. Just so you know, guys know, I am using, I'm trying out a few mics and I'm trying out a few different systems. So you might see a little bit difference in different types of audio quality, rhythm, temperance and all that within the podcast. If you could, please just overlook that. But what I am looking for is just overall sound quality. If you think it's better, if you think I lost something, anything you can give me as far as feedback in that way goes would be helpful and beneficial. Also, the content, just because it's interesting to me doesn't mean that it may be interesting to you guys. So anything you guys can share with me as far as like what you guys uh, enjoy or would like for me to discuss or talk about really helps me going forward as well. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this podcast on whatever platform you were choosing. You can find the Prison Steve podcast on Apple Podcast and Stitcher now, as well as Red Circle. If you want to throw your support for the show, the three best ways are to subscribe, leave a review, especially if it's five-star, and to share with anyone you think would be interested. Those three things will help me build some organic traction, which is really the best kind. Any comments or tips that you have, please feel free to share them with me via email or through the Facebook link I will be leaving in the description. For all of your support and listening to the show, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I look forward to the next one. Please remember, stay sane, be positive. Peace. Oh, oh, oh.